Right, let's turn to the Scriptures. If uh, Bibles could be passed out, if you need a Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 90 today. We're continuing in our series called None Like Him, and uh, we're looking at 10 ways in which God is different from us, and why that's good news. We're actually going to look at two of those today, rather than just one. Uh, That's because next week we're going to have a break from our series. We've got our friends Mark and Ruth Zeely from Istanbul are going to be with us, and uh, Mark's going to be speaking, so we're taking a break from the series next week. So I've squashed together two of the subjects today, and we're going to be looking at God, that God is eternal and God is immutable. So if you, once you've got a Bible, if you find Psalm 90, it's on page 599, and we're going to be looking at that. So this, the theme today is that God is eternal and God is immutable. What that means is that God is infinite in his days and God never changes, which is a kind of a bit of a gulp type statement. So God is infinite in his days and God never changes. And I don't know about you, but for me, as we think about these kind of themes, the, 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 the things we're looking at in this series, the, the capacity of my mind very quickly loses its capacity because we're talking about things which are beyond the capacity of the human mind. And so as soon as we start talking about God being eternal, infinite in days, then my mind runs out of capacity to really think what eternity looks like. Um, there, are, there are things that we, which are as good as eternal to us, but we know they're still changing. And, but when we talk about God, we're saying that he's eternal and he never changes, and that's just completely kind of mind-blowing. And I was thinking about this with our, our local geography. Uh, go down to the beach and look at, at Pool Bay. Uh, this is looking back the other way from Old Harry to, towards Pool and Bournemouth. I mean, as far as we're concerned, this is an eternal kind of landscape. But of course, we all know it's actually changing the whole time that Pool Bay didn't used to exist however many thousands of years ago, that at some point old Harry Rocks will completely disintegrate into the sea, that it used to be just a chalk band that ran all the way from old Harry to the Needles, but now the sea's pushed through it and has made Pool Bay, and a bit of Canterbury Cliffs fell down the other week, and one day all those posh houses on Canterbury Cliffs will fall into the sea, that's what's going to happen. So to us, it looks as good as eternal, but actually it's, it's changing. And then we think about God... And say, not only is he eternal, but he is unchanging. And that's just, that's where my mind kind of loses its, its capacity. It's, it's not just that God is very, very old. But God is eternal. Never had a beginning, will never have an end. And he is unchanging. There's not bits of God which are decaying or falling off. He's unchanging. And so... What we're emphasizing in this series and what we want to unpick this morning is to see how God is different from us, and that should be obvious because we're not eternal and we do change, but also to see why actually this is good news, that God is different from us. So we're going to look at Psalm 90 to help us with this. You'll see it says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now, Moses was someone who knew God very, very well. We're actually planning a short series on Moses a little bit later this year. We'll be exploring more of his, of his life and impact. But you probably know the story of Moses, that he was set apart by God, for God, from birth. Actually, he was meant to be murdered at birth because that's what was happening in his society at the time as the people of Israel were being oppressed by the people of Egypt. He was meant to be killed. So that's what was happening to little 
uh, Hebrew boys at the time, but he was rescued from death. And then he was someone who knew incredible encounters with God. He was the one to whom God appeared in a burning bush and God said, I am who I am. God made himself known to Moses. And Moses was the one who parted the Red Sea so the people of Israel could walk through it out of Egypt into freedom. Moses was the one who went on the mountain and saw God face to face. And Moses was so impacted by that that his own face glowed to such an extent he had to cover it because the glow of Moses' face was too terrifying for the Israelites to look upon. Moses was someone who knew God like no one else knew God. It says in Deuteronomy 34, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. No one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did. So this is a a prayer by Moses. We should take it seriously because Moses knew what he was talking about when he talks about God. And uh, hopefully this will help us too. This is certainly a, a message I need to preach to myself. This is a uh, some things happened the last few days, and as I've been preparing this, I've felt kind of convicted all the time. I need to hear this message, so hopefully you'll be helped by it as well as me. I've asked Pat, actually, to do the reading for me today, because I think Pat's the best reader in the church, and a mighty psalm needs a mighty reader, so Pat's going to help me. So we're going to read the fir- first couple of verses. Pat's actually reading from a slightly different version, but that doesn't matter. You can follow along as she reads. Lord. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Thank you, Pat. You know, we have a a very narrow perspective on life and upon the world. And you see that all the time because of how often we say things like, it's never been like this. There's never been a time when it's been like this. It's never been as bad as this. And throughout human history, you see people saying that. It's never been like this. It's never been as bad as this. And that is especially connected to the human tendency to be pessimistic. We tend to think, we see a a disaster happening. There's never been a disaster as bad as this disaster. And actually, our view of history is very narrow, very constricted. We don't really see things accurately. We just see things as they confront us. Some interesting figures. In the years 2008 to 2017, those nine years, on average there were 72,000 people killed each year in natural disasters. That's quite a shocking number. 72,000 a year seemed just terrible. But 50 years before, between 1958 and 1967, on average there were 373,000 people killed in natural disasters every year. We hear about an earthquake, we hear about a flood, and we think, it's never been as bad as this. It's never been, there's hurricanes, there's floods in Houston and, and, and all over the place, and in, in the Caribbean, it's never been as bad as this. Actually, it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. We have a very narrow view. We see things very selectively. We tend to think the world is getting worse the whole time, which isn't really true. Every day, 217,000 people are lifted out of extreme poverty. Every day, 300,000 more people get access to clean water. Every day, 325,000 people get access to electricity for the first time. Those are phenomenal numbers. But we tend to look at the world and think, it's all getting worse. It's never been this bad. We tend to have a very narrow view. Also, we are very forgetful. 
I don't know about you, but I forget to do things. I forget important things. I have to put things in my diary, even important things, or I forget them. And if I don't look at my diary, I still forget to do them because I'm forgetful. And there's all kinds of stuff that's happened in my life which I've forgotten about. I know I've forgotten about it. All the people I've known, I, I can think back, people I was kind of good friends with 20 years ago, and I'm struggling even to think what their faces were like, let alone remember what their names were. And I think about places I used to live, and I think if I went back there, would I, I'm not sure I can navigate myself around anymore. It's kind of all, it's gone. Uh, stuff leaves our brains. We forget stuff. And we say things to one another like, you always, and you never, and why don't you ever? And even this week, as I've been preparing this, I know myself I've done that, and I've certainly done it with with one of, one, at least one of my kids. You always do that. And actually, it's not the case. There's no one who always. There's no one who nevers. There's no one who, why don't you evers? Because we're just not that consistent. It's never true. But God is different from us. It says here that he sees all generations. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Revelation One, it says that he is the Alpha and Omega, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And actually what seems eternal to us, like the mountains, is temporary compared to him. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God's whole, God is very different from us. And his view of things is very different from ours. Pat, can you come and read the next verses? But you return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, for they're like a dream. The grass that is renewed in the morning, in the evening it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For you are brought to an end by your anger and by your wrath. We are dismayed. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. You know, for for us a thousand years is is a long time. Now, we, we know that a thousand years isn't a long time compared to other measures because we're always told that the earth has ex- came into being 13.8 billion years ago and a thousand years is just a blink of an eye. But a thousand years to us is a long time. It's a long, long time. Think about all the history of the past a thousand years. It's, it's too much to compass. It's, it's 1066, the invasion of the Normans, and it's all of... English and British history, all those kings and queens whose names you can't remember, and certainly can't remember the order of them, all that history. It's a long time. It's all the, think of all the technological developments of the last thousand years. Think of how new worlds have been discovered. People didn't know what the earth looked like a thousand years ago. Think of all that's happened. There's a massive span of history for any human being to try and get their minds around. And it says in the psalm that a thousand years in God's sight is like just a day that's gone by. And compared to this, our lives are like grass. That's what the psalm says. It's like the grass 
springs up in the morning and then it withers by the evening. And the psalm says that's what we human beings are like in comparison with God, in comparison with a thousand years, in comparison with the span of, of history. Compared with eternity, we're, we're just like the grass. We come up fresh and green, but then we wither and we fade and we die. And, you know, that's a bit depressing to think that way. And it gets even worse. Moses is going to worry us before he cheers us up. Pat, can you come and read verses 7 to 12? For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, and even by reason of strength... You've got a bit ahead. What? You've got a bit ahead of yourself, I think. Sorry. Oh, you read from verse 7. It was so fascinating, I was reading ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Verses, verse 7 to 12. Okay, sorry everyone. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Right? You're reading from verse 7. Oh. Yeah, there you go. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. For you have set our iniquities before you, and our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, and even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Mm-hmm. There is no one who knew God like Moses did, and there was no one who knew the glory of God like Moses. God had permitted Moses to see him in a way that nobody else had. He had a view of God's splendor, his power, his majesty, which no one else had, which actually nobody else was able to have, a view of God's glory, which is so overwhelming that people would die as they looked upon it. And Moses had a corresponding fear of of what was holy, that what he understood about God, his friendship with God, actually also caused him to be very aware of just how awesome and terrifying God is. And Moses knew the the sins of the people of Israel. He knew all too well about their constant grumbling and their rebellion. And that God sees that as well is is terrifying. That God saw the sin of his people. But it says here that God sees their secret sins as well. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And... Just think about that, that God sees our secret sins. All that stuff goes on in your mind, which you wouldn't want anybody else to know. Those thoughts you have, the words you say, the things you feel towards other people, your greed and lust and all the yucky stuff, which by the grace of God doesn't normally come out. And by the grace of God, if you're a believer in Jesus, is getting sanctified and 
becoming less of and less of a problem. But all the stuff that happens, all the secret sins that we have, all the stuff we wouldn't want anybody else to know, God sees it. God sees it. And that's a pretty terrifying place to be, that God knows exactly what we're like. And Moses says that we're passing, we're fleeting, and the eternal God sees that as well. That our days are short, and often they are difficult. And that's true for everybody. Often the days are difficult. And if your days are not difficult now, hallelujah, the day is coming which will be difficult. That's the human experience. There's always a day of difficulty coming. There always is. And so Moses says that we're to number our days. We're to make the most of them. Gain a heart of wisdom, says Moses. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 5, says something very similar. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It's almost like Paul's been reading Psalm 90. I think he had it. It's like he's paraphrasing Moses here, paraphrasing Psalm 90. He's saying the same things. Be careful how you live. Seek wisdom. Don't be foolish. Live in a way which is, is wise because the days are evil. Understand what God's will for you is live in a way that acknowledges the one who is eternal and unchanging. Live in a way which acknowledges that our time is brief. Don't waste your life. That's what Moses says. Look, we've got 70, 80 years. Maybe now because of improving lifespans, you can expect a little bit longer. But our lives are short. Don't waste your life. Be wise. Make the most of it. Yes, at times, often the days are evil. How are we going to live? The way to live is by acknowledging the one who is eternal and unchanging, by confessing your sins, even your secret sins to him, and by making the most of the day that he gives you. Let's read the rest of the psalm, Pat, verses 13 through to the end. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Our lives, by their very nature, are fleeting like the grass and there is much evil in the world. And then we think about God, the one who's eternal and unchanging and you put those things together and that can be can feel potentially oppressive that the world's evil my life is passing fast God is eternal and unchanging it can feel that that God is like a kind of a millstone and we're the grain if God is eternal unchanging and our lives are fleeting it's just like is is all our lives are just kind of grain which is being ground between 
these immovable characteristics of God? Or is it just like the sand in the sea, the rocks which are just churned by the ocean and inevitably turn into sand and dust? Is, is that what our lives are like? Well, actually, that's how it would be if there was no gods, if, if we were just the product of some random cosmic spark. That's how human life actually would be. Our lives then would be truly inconsequential because the reality of the endless spans of time would remain true and the reality of the fleeting nature of our lives remains true and it would just be like we're being ground between the reality of time which relentlessly passes on and on forever and ever and our lives which pass so quickly and our lives would be inconsequential. But what Moses knew and what the scriptures teach us is this, is that God is not a rock against whom we batter ourselves, but God is the rock on whom we stand secure. God, the eternal one, the unchanging one, is the rock on whom we can take our stand. He's the one who doesn't shift. And rather than that grinding us, actually that gives us security brings us into peace. You know, we should know the wrath of God, as Moses describes here, but instead we can pray and we can know his steadfast love. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. We can come to God and we can ask that and we can believe it and we can know it because how can there be an unfailing love? All loves fail. How can love never fail? Well, the only way that love can ever fail is if the one that you're seeking love from is eternal and unchangeable. The one who is eternal and unchangeable offers us unfailing love. He's the rock on whom we can stand. And that's why Moses can pray in the way he does. The way he finishes this psalm, one of the most, I think, most powerful verses in the whole of Scripture, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The reason that Moses can pray that amazing prayer, establish the work of our hands, is because it's not just our hands. We're coming to an eternal God and asking him to do it. If it, if it was just the work of our hands, it would get washed away in the end. Because inevitably... It would be sand that we build on. We don't build on sand. We take our stand on the rock that is our eternal, unchangeable God. And if we do that, then God is able to establish the work of our hands. Hallelujah. Jen Wilkin, from her book, None Like Him, which we're based in this series, says this, God is able to bring eternal results from our time-bound efforts. Man, that is good news. Our efforts are time-bound. We have Our years are fleeting. We're like the grass. But God is able to achieve something of eternal consequence. Establish the work of our hands, O oh God. Establish the work of our hands. May your favor rest on us. What we're doing here at Gateway Church, Lord, let it somehow have eternal consequences. That needs to be our prayer. You know, we're, we're not playing games here. What we're trying to do, what we're seeking to do here in the Church of Jesus Christ here in Paul and Bournemouth, here at Gateway. We're not playing games. What we're looking for is God to establish the work of our hands. We're looking for his favor to be poured upon us. We're looking for us somehow to do something, build something on the rock which doesn't change. We're looking to do something here which has eternal consequences. 
We're not just going through the motions. We're not just having a nice little happy spiritual gathering. No, we're about building something which have eternal effects because we come to the eternal and unchanging God. And so like Moses, we need to pray, let your favor rest on us. You'll see there's a, an A by favor there, and you look at the bottom of the page, and it says, or beauty. That word can be translated either way. May the favor of God or may the beauty of the Lord rest upon us. That needs to be our prayer. Lord, may we be filled with the eternal, unchanging beauty of God. Fill us, Lord, with your unchanging, eternal beauty. Let us know it. Let's build something here which endures somehow forever. Now, how should we respond to this prayer of Moses? Practically, what do we do? Let me give you four practical points quickly. First thing is we need to let go of the past. Uh, Now that we all take photos, not on proper cameras, but on our phones, we tend to have hundreds, thousands maybe of photos on our phones and our computers, and you never look at them because they're just digital. And, and so every year, beginning of the year, what I do is I get 100, 200 of those photos and I get them printed up into an album so we do actually do look at them and they're kind of a bit more fixed and permanent. But the trouble with that, I mean, it's great, you, when we get the new one arrives, it means you tend to look back at the old ones, which is a good thing to do, but also it can be a very sobering thing, thing to do. It can actually be a bit melancholic. And now at the stage of life we are, I tend to look at it and say, man, how have things changed so quickly? The kids were so small, and then suddenly they've all grown up and they're leaving home. Where's life going? And you can actually end up feeling a bit, oh, man, where is me? And the older we get, the more inclined we are to live in the past. Those of you who are young, still living in the future, those who are a bit older live more in the past. And that's especially the case when there's more past than future. If you've lived most of your life, then inevitably you're going to be living thinking about the past because that's where life has happened. And you can become a slave to the past. And there's actually a way in that in sense in which that can be sinful. If we're, if we're always wishing that we were there rather than here, that's a kind of idolatry. You look back at the old family photo albums and say, I wish that we were still there. I wish that life was still like that. That's... That's a kind of idolatry. It's a putting your hope in what's gone, that's, and that's sinful. Or we can become slaves of the past by living in regret about the things that we did or the things that we didn't do, the opportunities that we had or didn't have. And we can get stuck in the past just because we don't like change. And that can be a kind of idolatry as well, that we say, I wish this hadn't changed, and I wish they hadn't changed, and I, I wish things were as they were. But everything changes apart from God. Jen Wilkin again, she says, We are allowed to grieve the passing of happy seasons, but we are not allowed to resent their loss. There is a difference between missing the past and coveting the past. The antidote for covetousness is always gratitude. We can combat a sinful love of the past by counting the gifts we have been given in the present. What we need to do is let go of the past and practice gratitude now. We shouldn't have a sinful love of the past, neither a sinful regret of the past. It's only God who is changeless. We need to put our trust in him today. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
Let's, put our, let's let go of the past and put our trust in Jesus today. Also need to let go of the future. Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We can fall into sinful anticipation about the future, where we're always living for the next thing, where we don't actually celebrate what is happening now because we're always anticipating what might happen in the future. And that's not wisdom, that's folly. We can also fall into sinful anxiety about the future, where we're always fearful about the next thing and not trusting God who sees all things. You you don't need prophetic words telling you exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. What Jesus said to us is, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough to handle on its own. Get on with that. We need to trust Jesus in that. And then the third thing we need to do is live today fully. One of the things our friend Donnie Griggs from North Carolina always says is, wherever you are, be all there. Be all there. Don't be in the past. Don't be in the future. Be here now. Only God can be everywhere all the time. We need to be where we are now and making the most of that. And that means not being lazy today. It also means not being compulsively busy today. It means being wise. It means numbering our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, as Moses says. And the last thing we need to do is to trust in God's perfect timing. You know, there's a uh, manufacturing system, a management system called Just-In-Time Manufacturing, pioneered by Toyota, where you get stuff done at just the right moment. You don't have huge stockpiles of stuff backed up in the warehouse, but you have efficient supply chains, and you do stuff just in time. You know, God's timing is always perfect. It's always perfect. Jen Wilkins says, The past holds for him no missed opportunity. The present holds for him no anxiety. The future holds for him no uncertainty. And that's good news for us. We come to the eternal, unchanging God. He's never got it wrong. He's not anxious about today. He's not uncertain about what's to come. And if we take our stand on this rock... We can find meaning and hope for our lives now as well. This is good news. Look at what this scripture says to finish, Romans 5. At just the right time, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow, that's amazing. You know, God looks at us. He sees what we're like. He knows that we're like grass. He sees our iniquities. He sees our secret sins. He knows exactly what we're like. He sees our time-bound, finite lives. And he sent Jesus, his son, to come and die in our place at just the right time. Not for good people, not for righteous people, but for sinners like you and me. He died for us while we were powerless. We look at the passing of the years and we can feel pretty powerless. Life just goes rushing past. But Jesus has come and he has died in our place, the one who was righteous for unrighteous people like us, that we might be brought into a relationship with God. 
And when we know that, when we receive that, when we embrace that, when we come in faith to Jesus Christ, we can take our stand upon this rock which doesn't shift. It's not going to budge. The eternal, unchanging God. We can know that he holds us safe and secure now, for life now, so that we can number our days and live wisely now. And he holds us safe and secure for eternity. That actually for all time, we shall know his presence and we'll know his joy. We'll know his unfailing love. That's what he's promised us. Not his wrath and his anger. We'll know his mercy and his grace forever and forever. And what at the moment is like grass springs up and dies back, will be raised to glorious resurrection life, to share in the life of God himself because of what Jesus, who died for sinners like us, has done. That's good news. That's good news. We come to the God who is eternal and unchanging. We take our stand upon him today and every day. Let's do it. Amen? Let's pray and then let's respond in worship to God. Thank you, Lord, that we come to you, the eternal God, and we can ask these bold things that Moses asked. Thank you, we can come in confidence before you and know that your heart towards us now is not of wrath, that your son took the burden of the, your wrath against sin on the cross, that you dealt with it, sovereign Lord yourself, and now you do have compassion upon your servants and you will satisfy us with your unfailing love and you will bring us into the splendor of your children and that we can ask for your favor to rest upon us and you will establish the work of our hands. I pray that for us, King Jesus. I pray that each of us today, we would lay hold of that, the eternal, unchanging nature of God. We'd have confidence in who you are and what that means for us. Lord, you'd forgive us if we tend to live in the past sinfully or if we don't trust you for today or live in anxiety for tomorrow. Lord, let our our confidence be in you and our confidence be that somehow amazingly by your grace to us that what we're doing has eternal consequence, eternal effect because it's being established by the eternal God. Ask us in your name, King Jesus. Let's stand and uh, let's praise him together.